You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? I'm going to wear my beanie this morning. I'm cold. Anybody cold out there? I'm a little cold, so hey, I hope you, uh, you know, I got a beautiful head of hair under this, and you're going to miss that, but anyhow, that's me today. I'm going to wear that. hope you guys are doing good, and if you're new, I'm Pastor Danny, and we're so glad that you're with us today, and we're just so grateful for you being a part of this weekend's experience. We want to say hello to our Family Island campus. Give our Family Island campus a big hand now. We welcome you guys. So glad that you're with us today. And uh, we're just thrilled to have everybody that's watching online as well and people that are visiting. I saw John Beers and his family from West Virginia. Good to have you guys back visiting with us. So uh, good to see everybody today. Well, we're in a series called uh, Hope for Strugglers, and we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. And one of the things we like to do here at Bayshore is sometimes just kind of dive down into a book and look at what that book's about. We do that for a couple reasons. One of the reasons we do that is, number one, it helps us to address things we may normally avoid. You know, when you're kind of going through a book of the Bible, there's certain themes that come up that make you deal with it. And uh, if you're doing topical preaching all the time, it's always easy to kind of avoid those things. So I think this is a good system to help us to look at some things we normally wouldn't look at. And the other reason we do that is because we want you to read your Bible on your own so that when you uh, read your Bible on your own in your daily devotions, that you get an idea of what these books are about so you're not lost when you're reading these books and they can be helpful to you. So today we're looking at uh, doing another kind of flyover of the book. Last week we talked about who wrote the book, the Apostle Peter, story about him, how he came to be to writing that book and all that. Today we're going to look a little more at the, at the theme of the book, what the theme is about and what the book is about. So, you know, it's important when you read the Bible to understand the context of a book. If you understand the context of the book, you can understand the details of the book. Uh, and you have to understand who the book was written for. The book, book was written for somebody particular, particularly. Uh, and there's a guy named John Walton. He said, the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. And what that means is, is the original readers of the Bible, original readers of Scripture, uh, that was who the, the, the letter was addressed to, and then we learned from what they were uh, instructed in. So one of the big ideas of the book of 1 Peter is the idea of suffering. Not a really happy subject, but it's the idea of suffering. That is one of the major themes in the book. And there's a lot of us that we go through stuff in life that's just no fun. We go through suffering, we go through pain, we go through difficulty. And so we find, uh, you know, that in this book we find these are people that know what we go through. They've been through suffering. And particularly, their suffering is connected to persecution for their faith. They're being persecuted for their faith. And um, if you were to read through the book, it's five chapters. If you read through the book, you'll find in every chapter... Every chapter, the theme of suffering, that they're suffering, they're being persecuted. These people that love Jesus, they're scattered, you know, in different places, and they are being persecuted 
for their faith. And the people that, you know, originally followed Jesus, the people that, you know, we read their, the Bible that came to them, uh, those people suffered for their faith. It was not popular for them to be Christians. And so when we think about our faith in our culture, is our culture becoming more embracive of Christianity or is it becoming less embracive of Christianity? So perhaps, you know, this is more relevant than we think. Let me just read to you just a little bit, you know, of, of, this, uh, of this book, a uh, couple, couple of verses here about suffering. And there's a whole lot of it in here. And uh, so let me read, uh, here's, here's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 through 23. He says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you recall, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, like they're hurling insults at you, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Indeed, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So these uh, people are, you know, Peter is writing to them and said, listen, you're suffering. You're going through a hard time and people are not nice to you because you're a Christian. But listen, that happened to Jesus too. Jesus went through that as well. And when they hurled insults at him, just the way they're hurling insults at you, he didn't retaliate. He didn't, you know, when they were verbally abusing him, he did not verbally abuse them back. He did not malign them as they were maligning him. And so we see this wonderful principle. So they're under this time of incredible suffering, incredible difficulty. I just had a guy that joined my, my men's group. I teach a men's group every other Tuesday at uh, Pizza King at 6.30 in the morning. We studied the book of Acts. That's what we're doing this year. And I had a brand new guy from the Femcolin campus that just joined our group uh, last time. And uh, his name is Eric. And I talked to Eric about telling this story. But Eric said that uh, before he was a Christian, he was an atheist. He did not believe in God. He thought God was a joke. He thought God was not authentic. He thought that people just made up God because they needed God. Like Morgan Freeman says, you know, God is an uh, imaginary friend for adults. Kind of had that idea and that attitude about God. And uh, Eric said, I was an atheist. I did not believe in God. I didn't believe that God existed. I thought God was a joke. And he said, I wasn't neutral about it. I was, I was hostile. And I was hostile to Christians. I, I, was, I, I made fun of Christians. I verbally insulted them. I said all these horrible things about Christians. And he said, I was not nice to people that followed Jesus. And then Jesus got a hold of Eric. And now Jesus is in Eric's heart, and he and his wife are serving the Lord today. They're in our Femic Island campus. They're serving God. How many know that God can take a person that has no faith, give them faith, and use them for his glory? Can you say a big amen? amen? And maybe you got some friends that are atheists. They don't believe. They think it's ludicrous that you believe in God. They think it's crazy. They think it's anti-science if you believe God. 
But Eric came to faith in Jesus. And although he was an atheist and persecuted the church, now he's a follower of Jesus. Today, standing on our stage today, leading worship on this side, maybe if you're new to church here, we got a great vocal team up here singing, doing a great job. Tom and Roe, who stood right here today and sang, Tom and Roe used to be an atheist, did not believe in God, did not believe that God was real, did not believe that the idea of God was an authentic thing. And, and how many know that God got a hold of Tom Monroe and he married Jody Monroe, and, not Jody Monroe then, he married whatever Jody's name was before, and Jody Monroe is a blessing to our church. How many know that God can take people that are far away from God and bring them close to God? That's what God can do. And God's going to do that in our community, in our churches, in our community, we have a church in Femic Island, church in Rehoboth Beach, and we're seeing people that are coming to the Lord that used to be far away from the Lord and are now coming to the Lord. So this book is about people that were following Jesus who had adversaries that were persecuting them for their faith. And here's what it says, I think, in the beginning of the book, this is one of the, the best verses where it talks about, uh, about what can happen to a person that follows Jesus. It says in uh, the first part of First uh, Peter, it says, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're following Jesus. Let me find the verse here. Here it is here, First Peter. Okay, here it is. Uh, First Peter right here. Dear friends, I ur- I, I, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though some of you were something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when the glory of God is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, if you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God is a rest upon you, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind. However, you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And we have in the Gospels, we have Jesus promising his followers that if you follow me, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they hated me, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, if they told, they called me Beelzebub, then they're going to call you Beelzebub as well. They're going to treat me. They treated me in a certain way, and they're going to treat you in the same way. Now, it's important we don't like get a martyr complex, that we think like everybody's going to persecute us and, and everybody's going to hate us. But the Bible teaches that there is this, this animosity in the world toward people that follow Jesus. There's this animosity this hostility in the world toward people that are serving Jesus. And it's sort of in the culture. And, uh, you know, and so when the Bible talks about the world in the New Testament, there's this concept, you know, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. When it talks about the world, uh, it's not talking about the globe. We should love the globe. We should love nature. We should love the cosmos. We should love, you know, uh, take care of our planet. It says that it doesn't mean that we should not love the world environmentally, but what it means is that there is a system, there's a world system that is in, in sort of a rebellion against God. There's, a, there's an attitude in culture that says, listen, God is not, you know, in our thinking. 
God is not in our way of thinking. Uh, and, and we are our own God. We will do what we want to do. And so when you think about the world, what it says when it says, do not love the world or the things in the world, what that means is, is that we are called not to follow a system that is anti-God that says, you know, who is God? We're going to do whatever we want to. And it's a subtle rebellion against God and his word, and it's an independence from God. So that's in our, that's in our world that we live in. That's in the, the place where you work. That's in the place where we go to school. That's in, the, that's in our government. That's in everything. There is a, an attitude, a set attitude in this world that says God is not to be honored. God is not to be uh, revered. God is not to be looked upon as, as someone that we follow. He's not our king. We're, we're, we are able to do what we want to do. Humanism is me saying that I am the most important thing and I can do whatever I want to. That's the world that we live in. And uh, it says in the book of Judges that uh, there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. So what does that mean? You know, it says that several times in the book of Judges that there was no king and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And what it means is, is that, that we have a culture and we have a world now that says there is no God, there is no king, there is no final authority, and we'll do what's right in our own eyes. And that's where we are. That's what we're living in. And real Christianity and real authentic Christianity is Christianity that says there is a God. And it says in uh, Hebrews eleven six, 6, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. For in order to please God, you must believe that God exists and that he diligently rewards those that seek him. That it's not a waste of your life and it's not a waste of your time to seek the Lord with all of your heart. It's not a waste of your life. It's the best way you can spend your life to believe that there is a God, that God has created this universe, that God made you, that there's order in this world, and that you would seek him with all your heart. So that is, you know, that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with, a, uh, in the book of First Peter, they're dealing with a world that is against how they're living. They're, they're walking in a certain direction. They're following Jesus, and there's this natural animosity that's in the world against them. Now, the reality is, is their reality is our reality. What they experienced True Christianity, people that really follow Jesus, people that really embrace Jesus as their Lord, We'll experience some of that, some animosity toward you because you are a follower of Jesus. So that's what 1 Peter teaches us. And it's something we have to get in our heart because we have this passion to be liked by everybody. We want to be liked by everybody around us. And we should love everybody. We should serve everybody. We should be these wonderful people that love and help other people. But if we have as our objective in life never to offend anybody... To be liked by everybody, then that is inconsistent with Christianity. That's inconsistent with Christianity. When Kira and I lived in Florida, we had uh, 
we had these uh, camellia lizards. You ever see these little lizards, these little green lizards? They were all over when we lived in uh, Florida. They, we lived in this little house, and we had two pecan trees in the backyard, and we had all these little camellia lizards, and they would get in the house and freak Karen out. She'd just like, get these lizards. And when you'd open the door, it's like, you know, they would just come in the house, and they were just everywhere. And these lizards had the capacity to whatever... Uh, Whatever environment they were in, they could change to the color of the environment. If they were on a brown stick, they would turn brown. If they were on a green leaf, they would turn green. And, you know, they could, they could change colors. And what we have a temptation to do is to always accommodate, always accommodate, always accommodate, always accommodate that we want to be like the world so the world will like us. And that was not the people of 1 Peter. The people of 1 Peter had declared Christ as Lord of their life and their values and their vision and the way that they live was different than the people around them. Now, there used to be a bumper sticker, bumper stickers in the 70s, you know, when I was... In high school, you know, way back then when Christian, you know, there was like all this stuff happening in the 70s and 80s. If you lived through the era and you know anything about the church, you know what it was like. But the Christian bumper stickers used to be in, you know, I don't think anybody, I don't, I never, you know, put Christian bumper stickers on my car because I wasn't that good a driver and I thought it was a bad witness. But, but you know, there was these Christian bumper stickers. My favorite one was, uh, was they used to be one that said, honk if you love Jesus. And, you know, this is no lie. And then people would honk if you saw somebody. And my favorite one was uh, tithe if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk. That was my favorite one. But. <laughs> but there used to be one that really got me. And it said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Oh my gosh, when I saw that, it, it really made me think, you know, am I living a Christ-like life? Am I following Jesus with all of my heart? Or am I trying to be like everybody around me? Do I take my cues? You know, I've been, I have uh, Several university degrees that are not Christian universities. I've gone to the non-Christian schools. You know, I've been to University of Delaware, I got a degree. Salisbury University got a master's degree. I, and I got some Christian degrees as well. But I've been sitting in classrooms where people, you know, make fun of Christianity. And I've had to speak up for the Lord and, and all of that. And, and I, in fact, I love that because it really helps me to, to hone in my faith that my faith is authentic. My temptation has always been, and the same temptation you have is, is we want to, we want to accommodate everybody's view. We want, to, we want to be like them. And if the world goes this way, we're going to go that way. We're going to follow whatever the world cues are, whatever their values are about sexuality, whatever their values are about you know, materialism, whatever their values are about different things. We have a tendency to follow them, and we're not supposed to follow culture. We're supposed to change culture. We're not supposed to be like them. We're supposed to model what Jesus is like so they can change their life. 
And the book of uh, 1 Peter is about people that were persecuted because they loved Jesus and they lived in an anti-God culture. They lived in a culture that made fun of them. They, made, they lived in a culture that were, uh, believed that they were you know, crazy. They lived in a culture that thought they were nuts. Karen got me a, a cross for Christmas and I love this cross. Uh, and I used to have one when I was in high school, and I had one in high school. I took a Bible to school in high school, and if I was really walking with Jesus, I'd get my cross out. You know, I was walking to class. Sometimes if I wasn't walking with Jesus, I would tuck it in. Sometimes if I was walking with Jesus, I'd bring a big Bible to school. Sometimes I'd bring a little one. But Christianity, the cross, if you think about the cross, I love the cross, how many, lo- how many have got a cross that you wear? You got some kind of cross you got. I, I see even, you know, a lot of secular people, they wear a cross. People are playing tennis there. You got their cross and all that. You got tattoo crosses. I had a guy one time pulled his shirt up in the back of the back room. He had the whole Lord's Supper tattooed on his back of his back. You know, I thought that had to hurt, you know. But do you know where? You know how the cross was first presented? The, first, the very first historical, archaeological discovery of the cross was a satire. Made fun of the cross. They found this cross, uh, we have a picture of it, they found it on the Palatine Hill in Rome. And it was uh, in what, on a plastered wall. And uh, on the plastered wall they had this picture of a cross. And we know that that wall in that area was was once owned by Caligula, one of the uh, emperors, and it was a school. So maybe this was put on the, a piece of graffiti put on the school wall making fun of a Christian boy. Or maybe it was a, a barrack of, of, of soldiers. But the cross, the first cross we have in history, and you can go to Rome and you see this. It's not a beautiful cross in some sanctuary. It's not a beautiful cross in some, uh, you know, uh, beautiful cathedral. It's a cross making fun of Christians. And the cross has a donkey's head at the top. And it gives Jesus a donkey's head. And you can see his arms spread out. And at the bottom, there's this guy raising his hands in worship. And as he's raising his hands in worship, some people believe it's a soldier. Roman soldier became the Lord. Others, perhaps a student. But what it says in Greek is Alexamenos worships his God. Alexamenos worships his God. And it is saying, what an idiot. What a crazy, crazy, crazy guy to worship. And they make Jesus with the head of a donkey on the cross. That was the attitude toward the early church. That was, they weren't liked, they weren't popular, they weren't like everybody thought they were great. They were persecuted for their faith and they loved Jesus and they followed Jesus. And the test of Christianity is not how you and I behave when people like us, it's when how we behave and how we serve God, even when people don't like us. And so when Peter writes this letter, the first time, you know, when he writes this letter, you know, if you read all the books and you read all the scholars, the books say that it was written in the early 60s, not 
1960 in the hippie era in Woodstock. It was written in 60 AD, about 30 years or so after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And Peter's in Rome. He's, he calls it by the name Babylon in the book. is sort of a, uh, you know, uh, a code name because Christians were being persecuted. The reason he said he was writing from Babylon, he didn't want to say he was writing from Rome because they were hunting down Christians. And so he said, we're writing from Babylon. And what it says about Peter, uh, Peter, what he says to, uh, you know, the, the, what's going on in, in his world, he's in Rome, the city of Rome, and in 64 AD, 64 AD, the emperor is Nero. Nero is a maniac. He is crazy. He starts a fire. He starts a fire, or we presume he starts a fire. There's this big fire in Rome that burns for like six or seven days and guts out the, the center of Rome. And the speculation is, is that Nero started the fire. He was the, he was the arsonist to gut out the, the center of Rome so he could build more buildings that would honor him. And so this rumor is circulating about the emperor. And this is when Peter is writing the letter. It's about that time. It's in that season. And he writes the letter in a context where things are really rough in Rome. And Nero has this, this uh, rumor thing. The news cycles are against him, that he started the fire, and all the papers are blaming Nero. And so he has to have a scapegoat. So he says, it was the Christians. It was the Christians that started the fire. And remember, this is when Peter's writing the letter. It's in this time frame. And he said it was the Christians. And the Christians weren't very revered because, you know, they were called, number one, they were called atheists because they didn't worship the gods of Rome. They were called cannibalistic because they heard that they had, they ate the flesh and blood in their meetings. That was speaking of communion. And that they were antisocial. When, when there was a parade in front of the streets for one of the Roman gods, everybody was standing out burning incense. And in front of the Christian's house, there'd be nobody out front. Because they weren't going along with everything that was going on. And so Nero said it was the Christians. And because the, the atmosphere was ripe, it was like uh, wood that was dry and ready for a fire. They turned on the Christians and they began to persecute them and they did horrible things to them. And I'm not even going to describe in detail some of the horrible things they did to these Christians. And these Christians constantly kept loving Jesus and serving Jesus in the midst of what they were going through. And they were faithful to Jesus because they knew that Jesus was real. And how many know that when you know Jesus is real and you have a real experience with Jesus, that you will follow him even when things are hard and things are difficult because you know that Jesus is real and authentic. The Jesus we're talking about in our service today is not a, an imaginary Jesus. It's a Jesus that's real that can change your life. Can you say a big amen? So they were going through a, Peter says they were going through a fiery trial. They were going through a fiery trial, a difficult trial. And Nero took these believers and 
did horrible things to them, put them on stakes and lit them on fire and drove his chariot around the Circumsmachmus where they had these chariot races and used them as, as lighted torches. And during this time of crazy Nero, there's a guy by the name of Paul. Anybody ever hear Paul? Paul was this guy. We believe that Peter and Paul were probably in Rome about the same time. And Peter, you know, he was, he was, he eventually lost his life in the late 60s under Nero. And he asked to be crucified upside down. They were going to crucify him. He wasn't a Roman citizen, so he was going to be crucified. If you weren't a Roman citizen, you'd be crucified. So they crucified Peter. He said, don't crucify me like my Lord. Crucify me upside down. I cannot be crucified like my Lord. And then there was this guy named Paul who wrote half the New Testament who was a person did not believe in Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, you know, he's on his road on the way to Damascus and he's there to persecute the church and he's there coming against the church. He has no love for the church. He hates the church and he has an experience with Jesus and he turns completely a 180 and he begins to serve the Lord. And that is a wonderful, wonderful testimony of the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus because something happened to Paul that convinced him that Jesus was really alive and Jesus was was really real and he turned his back on his old hatred of Christianity and just like Tom Monroe and just like Eric he began to follow Jesus and serve Jesus because Jesus is real and then in 68 AD because this guy loved Jesus so much the apostle Peter was executed and apostle Peter was executed in, in 67 68 and then we believe that Paul himself was executed in 68 he was uh, killed with the sword, beheaded by the sword because he was a Roman citizen. So the people that we read about in the Bible, the people we look at in Scripture, these are people that had this authentic faith that was so genuine, that was so real. Jesus was so real that they were willing to endure hardship and difficulty in culture because they loved Jesus. And that's the people that we read about. And that, the book of First Peter is... It's not this nice little seeker-friendly book. It's not this like nice little like God loves you, he's going to help you with your daily life kind of book. And I, I believe in all that stuff. I love to preach on that stuff. But this is a book about, about real, real, genuine Christianity. When I think about is Christianity real, and when I think about is Jesus real, and I think about is the resurrection real, and do I think about is the Bible real, when I think about those issues, I look at these early Christians and I look at the faith that they had. Their faith was, was a level that how many would say is not where our level is yet, but these people had this incredible, authentic encounter with Jesus and it was real. So you and I, if we embrace the book, we embrace what the book is about, it's about people that are willing to say, my values and my beliefs aren't going to be dictated by the culture. My values and my beliefs are going to be dictated by God's revealed word through Jesus and God's revealed word through Scripture. Now, how many know that if we come, the Bible says, if we... Uh, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, 
that you will be saved. Say that with me. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Cannot be saved without confessing Jesus to be your Lord. Yesterday, I, I did a wonderful funeral for a, a great lady in our church, Margaret Hudson. She was 94 years old. She used to sit back here with her sister Charlotte. Margaret loved the Lord. Margaret was somebody that overcame all kinds of adversity, and, uh, and she was a good woman, good mother, good grandmother. When, I, when we celebrated her life, it was just wonderful because there's so many good things about Margaret Hudson. And we're all going to miss Margaret. And as I did her funeral, I said, you know, the one big problem with Margaret's story is that we can get the idea that if we're like Margaret, we're going to go to heaven. If we live a good life, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to be okay if we just live a good life. But I said, imagine that you had to jump across the Grand Canyon. How many here have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Ever been here? Some of you have been. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I wanted to see the Grand Canyon. I started one time, never made it. Uh, but I don't know the, the narrowest part of the Grand Canyon. I think it's like a mile wide. I said, imagine if you got to jump across the Grand Canyon to the other side, on the narrowest point, a mile wide. And I said, Margaret, she was so, such a good person. When she ran, she jumped a far distance, but she's way off from the other side. Because there's a big, big gap between us and God. With all our righteousness, it's but filthy rags in his sight. So we have to have the sacrifice, the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in order for us to be saved. And we have to make him our Lord. We have to confess that he's Lord. You don't say, I, I was raised to say, accept Jesus as your Savior. Now, that's heresy. That's absolute heresy. You can't accept Jesus as your Savior. Accept him as your Lord. You give your life to him. You surrender everything. These guys, they died for Jesus. Nothing they had was their own. So if you confess Jesus as Lord... How does his lordship, how do we get his lordship to activate in our practical life? Well, it's, it's through the scriptures. The scriptures is how Jesus becomes lord in our life. We read the scriptures and it convicts us. And James says it's like looking at a mirror. You look at a mirror and, and you see the need, the change, and the Holy Spirit helps you to make the changes that you see in the word. Jesus is Lord. There's no, listen to this, there's no lordship of Jesus without embracing the Bible. So the problem is, culture is telling us how to live. It's telling us how to respond sexually. It's telling us what to think about materialism. It's telling us what to think. All of our values are coming from culture. But to be a Christian... Your values come not from culture. Your values come from Scripture. So in our world, we look at the world and we say, you know, culture says, uh, I think this is what's right. I think this is how I'm going to live. I mean, this is what I think is right. 
A Christian says, let God be true and every man a liar. And a, script, a Christian looks at Scripture, and he looks at Scripture, or she looks at Scripture, and, she, and he or she sees what God's will is. And it says in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what it says, Romans 12, 2, I'll quote it directly. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Say, read that with me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do you renew your mind? Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Don't look. Don't get all your cues from movies. Don't get all your cues from media. Don't get all your cues from sitcoms. Don't get all your cues from what you hear the professor say in academia. You know, he's got a certain view. He's protecting his worldview. Don't be afraid to ask a question and say, I'm not sure about that. So here's how it works. I got this level here, you know, a little tiny one I use from time to time. And this level, you know, you can look at a board and you can say, wow, I think, that, I think that's right. It looks level. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's the right thing to do for me to, you know, do what I'm doing cohabitate with somebody I'm not married to or, or, you know, to make materialism my own goal or to, you know, skew the truth a little bit on that business deal. It, I think that's, that looks right. Or you take the level, you take the scriptures and you set it down on your life and you see if your life is in conformity to what Scripture believes, what Scripture says about your life. And that is, that's what they did. They did that. Third chapter of 1 Peter, we're, we're, all, we're, out, we're a little bit over and we're just about ready to finish. First, uh, third chapter of 1 Peter says, says this, it says, like newborn babes crave spiritual milk. Like newborn babes crave spiritual milk. What, what Peter is saying, if you've ever had a, a baby and if you raised, a, you know, children, you know that baby when it's in the crib and it's hungry, all it's thinking about is milk. It's screaming its head off because it wants some milk. And, and your elbow and your wife go feed the baby. And you got that thing. You know, that thing is, that baby's just crying. And that baby can, all it can think about is the milk. Peter says, when it comes to God's word, we want you to be craving God's word, craving his word, seeking his word so you can be transformed. That's really what the book's about. And when I read this book, it deeply convicts me because I know, I know, I know 
what's happening to you. I know what's happening to our kids in school. I know what's happening to you at work. I know what's happening to you when you watch your sitcoms. I know what's happening to you. We are listening to a worldview that is far away from the view of God's word. So, Peter, I'll end with this. He started with this wonderful you know, they're being persecuted, they're having a hard time. And so he starts the book. I read this last week, and this is how we'll end today. He said, First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, to God's elect, to God's elect. He's, and these people living in the Turkey, they feel rejected, they feel nobody loves them, they feel isolated, they feel alone, they feel weird. And he says to them, you are God's elect. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Would you lift your hand right now? This is not the end of the service. Don't leave yet. Lift your hand up, and I want you to say this. He said, say this with me. I am chosen by the Lord. If I'm chosen by the Lord, it matters little who rejects me. You are God's elect. You are chosen by God. You are chosen by God. If you ever, you got kids that play soccer, and then you got kids that play soccer, baseball, you go to the soccer game, there's what, six or seven kids on the field, according to what age it is, or if, there's, if they're high schoolers, it's 11th grade. You go and you're sitting in the stands, and, and there's there, you know, 11 kids running around on the team, and, and who are you looking at? You're looking at your kid. You're not looking at all those other kids. You're looking at little Johnny. If you're, you know, little league, he's out there. He's turning around. He's sitting down facing the wrong way. You know, he's waving at the cars going by. That's who you're looking at. And God says, I'm looking at you. You're my child. You're chosen. And then he says to those in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithynia, he knows where we are. He knows where we are. He knows where you are today. He knows what you're going through. Would you lift your hands with me right now? Everybody in Femic Island, lift your hands as we get ready for the Holy Spirit to do something great in our church this year. Father God, we thank you for your word. Your word is rich. Your word is raising up a generation of people in our day that are going to follow you in our culture. We're not going to follow culture. We're going to be in the midst of culture, and we're going to challenge culture, and we're going to change culture around us. We ask you to bless us today. Help us this week. We are soldiers of Christ. We are not of this world. And Lord, we follow you with all of our hearts. And we love you and we honor you today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen Amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.